So how are we kicking this one off? I don't know. Let's just go. And we're back here on the Purple Fringe. John, you've just got back from Japan. Tell I us. Have. I have. Was it, was it exciting? It was a lovely country, lovely people, lovely food, lovely technology. Wow. Mm. Well, talking of technology, let's jump straight to it. We are today sitting out in the back garden on a lovely sunny day, both with a, uh, a road... Um, what is this? The road the reporter. reporter. Yep. Uh, with the new road wireless uh, kit attached to as well. We're the gonna, new shooter. We're going to do the entire episode wireless. And we're outside and it's getting a little bit windy. Um, so I'm curious to see how the, the road reporter deals with a bit of wind. With a little gust of wind here and there. It should yeah. be all right. We haven't got the, um, the socks on top of them. No, they don't come with socks. They they they've got a built-in socks. wind filter, apparently. So wow. I'm curious to see how well it works. And uh, now the wind's died down. Well, that's anyway. a fairly big claim. I'm sure it'll, it'll come back up. But yeah, these um, these road podcasts have been interesting. I've noticed that Road have been giving them away to a lot of uh, people who are, are doing like NAB coverage. And, the um, reporter mics. Yeah. yeah. And so you suddenly, on uh, every single report, I think it was, that was at the last, uh, you know, some of these big trade conferences, um, Everyone's been using Rode reporters, and I think it's just a case yeah. of, hey, Rode giving out free mics if you talk to them, and I think everyone just sort of went to Rode, oh, can we have a free reporter mic if well, we put it on the show? From and they've can, all got them. From what I can tell, they seem to be pretty good mics, so I haven't uh, done too much outside, but inside they've worked pretty well, so I'll yeah. see what it does with a bit of wind around. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens today. Well, John... We have an episode today which is a bit of a cap-up episode. As yeah, far as I it's been a long time since we've been on and um, we're getting towards Christmas now. And to be honest, there's not much news. We could have recapped what we missed while I was away in Japan, but um, it's probably old news to a lot of you now. So we thought we'd do a bit of a, a wrap-up of the year and the, the big developments. Yeah, indeed. But uh, before we get to that, Chris, I'm sans a beer. So okay, I bought some beers earlier. Let's go for a walk because we can go let's for go a walk. go inside, yes. Fully da, wireless, da, 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 handheld, da, da, da. no cans. Ah. Oh. Hopefully this works. Hey, Joe. How are you? Good, thank you. Excellent. Yeah. That's Joe. Everyone say hi to Joe. Now. Hi, Joe. In, in your fridge, there's this. Apart from the leftover beers. pizza. So we're drinking, or we've just drank a summer ale before, but I found this beer earlier on. It's called a salt and pepper. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> now, I'm a big fan of saltwater beers. Have you had a saltwater beer before? No. It is Maybe actually seawater. It's actually something that I'm I love. Well, let's have a have a go at these. Oh, All right. Jeez, you got me with that one. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ooh. Right. Okay. So it's brewed with salt water. Yes, I can see that. And <laughs> <laughs> um, this is actually this actually doesn't have a huge kick. The last one I had was sort of more of a like an IPA kind of thing, and it really had a lot of other tones with it. This is almost more mm. of a you'd stew on this. It's interesting. <laughs> I actually really like it. What do you? What's what's your thoughts on it? Um, well, I think I might need to give it a bit of time. <laughs> this is cool. How to offend John's um, palate live on radio. What you're not getting is his expressions right yeah. now. He's, he's got this, he's looking at the can as if he yeah. doesn't quite trust it. <laughs> well, the big squid on the side, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's sit on the we'll beer for now. We'll, see we'll how talk we go about the beer that. when we're halfway oh, through now the we show. We better chuck the rest back in the fridge. Oh, yeah, beer's back in the fridge. You can tell it's festive season. We're all, yeah. uh, all starting to lose the plot a bit. All right, back outside. 
All right, so progressing back outside. Stick the thongs oh, on. You really summer. Yep, back to the uh, the outside couch, John. This year, now that we've got our beers, yep. what's been uh, the highlight of your your year? Looking at uh, products that have been released or surprises. Well, look, Chris, I've come up with a bit of a rundown. I might just read them off and then we'll get stuck into the details of some of them. Sounds good. So, look, my list here we've got, and these are the, the big developments um, that we think are important for this year, 2016. 4K. 4K, yep, 4K, definitely a standard yep. now. Uh, mirrorless cameras or, or smaller cameras rather mm-hmm. than the big uh, bulky things of, of your uh, computing power, which is a bit of a more... Yeah nerdy topic but uh, does apply to what we do stabilization yep uh in in camera stabilization yep. in, and lens uh, on the stabilization center. yeah, yeah but, especially, um, yep. especially in the body sigma sigma a bit of a comeback kid the last year or so yep uh gimbals getting back to the stabilization theme yes and stock whether it be stock music stock photography stock videos stock after effects templates whatever it may be um i think there's been a bit of a shift when it comes to stock as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, uh, let's kick it off with 4K. So, 4K, up until I think this year, was a nice to have, something you pay a bit extra for, something that uh, you might be able to charge your client a bit extra for is a, a special thing. But as of 2016, I think that's all started to change. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think people now, there's a general consensus that um, you should be able to zoom in and reframe uh, and you should be able to, uh, you know, potentially get a a two shot out of something or if you want to, uh, you know, uh, stabilize something out a little bit and give yourself a bit more around the edge that, you know, that should be the standard. Um, I think it's not always the right reasons why 4K is sort of becoming the standard. I mean, certainly mm. it's a beautiful image. I think most of us are downsizing it to uh, 1080 before we release. Yeah. Uh, but the image you get out of a downsampled 4K image is just, it's the sharpest 1080 you'll you'll see. Yeah. Uh, and what's surprising me is the quality of 4K is really going up now. I mean, initially it was like when the early HD cameras came out, uh, you know, the, the, the it was a bit blurry and it was a bit, you know... Yeah, well, we started off at 1440 and we were sort of doing rectangular pixels. And And even the early 4K was a little bit on the blurry side. It wasn't, it was, maybe it was actually sensor read out pixel per pixel. But now we're starting to get the, you know, the 25 megapixel sensors that are downsampling with coupling on the back of the sensors and things like that. And all of that's starting to be a bit of a standard thing. So, Hmm. yeah, I think the other thing. The other thing is uh, just low-end devices. We are, uh, we, we are all about the, the high-end of low-end, but even the low-end of low-end is starting to all go 4K, whether it be you know, your action cameras or your phones or just uh, point-and-shoot cameras. They're pretty much all doing 4K now. Um, some of them are overheating doing it, but um, they're pretty much all doing it. It's, it's tricky to buy uh, a camera for more than a few hundred dollars that doesn't do 4K uh, a lot of the time now. So uh, it's getting to the point where consumers are expecting it they can't view it most of the time yet um although that's starting to change tvs are also dropping pretty quickly in price so maybe 2017 will be the the year of the equilibrium where the content capture and uh consumption uh, sort of hit parity but um yeah the fact that everyone has 4k in their pocket now uh, means that it's here to stay and now we can look forward to 8k chris yeah well i think the only thing with the uh the whole 4k journey is that it's uh it- Yes, it's a sharper image, but it doesn't always 
it doesn't resolve a lot of the common problems, which are things like, especially with motion and movement, uh, without stabilization. And low light. Yeah, and low light. I mean, it's still going to be grainy. It's still going to have blur, micro blur, even if you're trying to stabilize it in post, you know, with the edges. And it's still going to have micro blurs where your, your shutter speed's too low and it's 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 trying to compensate for the, the motion. And hmm. I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't address as many problems problems as people think i mean they think oh, i'll get a 4k camera it's going to look better yeah but it doesn't necessarily and i th- i think um i think even when uh sony brought out like their a7s for shooting low light photography i mean i mean this is a little bit of a different uh, comparison but they went for less pixels and just more sensitive like more light yeah, it's coming like a 12, into the, 12 the, megapixel sensor yeah, I in sense, yeah and i think that maybe um the it, it's hit a point now where you you, you think of the old luma uh, Lumix phones, I think, from Nokia, which had those super mm. high sensors, resolution mm. sensors at one point. But now we're seeing sensors at a lower resolution that are better in low light. Yep. And one of the big things there is that it's about better pixels, not necessarily yeah. higher res. So it, it, it's an interesting time where, yes, 4K is the norm, becoming the norm for video, but also people, manufacturers aren't being scared to pull back the sensor count a little bit so it's, it's it's sort of an interesting equilibrium at the moment now that you're talking about that chris i'm going to throw something else into the list which we hadn't discussed prior just yep. to throw a curveball at you and that speaking of sensors that is the fact that sensor sizes have been going up this year i've noticed quite a bit the one inch mm. sensor is now a common occurrence which it wasn't prior to 2016 yeah what are your thoughts on that chris well i think it's just people demand better shots in low light i mean flashes sort of uh, so everybody sort of realizes you don't get as good an image with a flash especially with fall off and things like if that you don't know what you're doing group yeah. of people uh without having remote well if you've just got the built-in flash in your camera you yeah you're, certain things you're going to struggle to do yeah and people just like to be able to take out a camera hit the button and get the shot you know without uh, having to pop up a flash or yeah play around with settings and i, I think that that's why we're seeing the one inch sensor. It's just it's the answer to getting more light, capturing more light. And I, it I guess you also get the, the shallower depth the of shallower field. Depth of field. Now, yeah. for my taste, it's not quite shallow enough. But um, as witnessed by things like the the dual lens iPhone Seven, where you've got the depth of field effect, people people like the look of a big sensor, and one inch isn't really there. But if you've got a reasonably fast lens and it's uh, on the long end of things, then you can get some really nice shallow depth of field shots with a one inch sensor and if you're on a video camera throw it out to the the long end you can get some good stuff too as you've witnessed with your rx10 chris yeah well i, th- I think even with um even with a, a shorter um you know lens uh length it's it's not really um it, it's not a huge amount of depth of field you're getting or, or mm. not, i should say it's not a shallow super shallow depth of field it's, yeah. it's only a little bit of difference but just having the background slightly defocused is just giving that little bit of separation and people yeah. you know they know when they see a photo they like and I, I think even that little bit of separation is is something people are enjoying to look at so mm. yeah sure. but yeah the one inch sensor i think the other thing is just that it's becoming cheaper to manufacture i mean it's all about yeah. it. it's a numbers game and uh, I mean, especially manufacturers like Sony have just realized if they bring the price down on something like a one inch sensor, people are going to buy it and use it, especially if it's good and it's using the uh, intellectual property from their research, mm. that, that why not just put it in all our range? Yep. Uh, oh, <laughs> and gee, have they done that? Yeah, it's been amazing. <laughs> Sony this year. Yep. Uh, all right, moving on, Chris. Um, mirrorless cameras or the death of the big camera. Mm. Uh, so uh, this is both in video cameras and um SLRs and point and shoots I think we're starting to see well firstly more mirrorless stuff which has been a development for a, for a while but I think what has changed this year is maybe 
uh, the, the big penis syndrome of having a, a big camera and having to look important. People now, I think, are more comfortable to get a smaller camera and not be phased by that. And mm. um, clients, if they don't get it, uh, people are happy to tell them that it doesn't matter that the camera is big. It matters what you can do with it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Not it's, too many thoughts on that, Chris. You agree? Uh, yeah. Uh, like, it, you can still buy the, the big video cameras that look like the traditional ENG cameras, which are basically a big hunk of plastic full of air. You can still buy those cameras, but I think people are serious about their craft and not interested in that sort of showboating anymore well yeah and there was a time and place for a shoulder camera i think that's what people forget um is when they actually had stuff in them as well well yeah <laughs> well there's also a time and place for a shoulder camera when we when you want exorbitant battery life now you yep. can you can Big get v-lox you can get an all-day shooting camera on your shoulder which is you know there's something for that mm. with mounts to be able to do real-time streaming and you can have all of your you know your receivers for your your audio on there and you can have everything mounted in this really nice clean system sitting on your shoulder in one hit which you pull out of a bag press record on and off you go being on your shoulder as well i mean the big thing is just your your balancing it yeah. sits as a perfect seesaw on your shoulder and you've got your you know your lens at front which is just in the right place to hold you've got your other hand that you can sort of move around and do things with you know because you, you've got your shoulder as a mounting point if you want to run a gun and get around quickly with the camera all day long I mean, really, a shoulder camera is still the format. Mm. Um, but whether you do that with a mount, some kind of uh, bracketing system, uh, and you, yeah. you know, you, the actual camera part, as you say, I think it's less important that you have, like, you know, the that's uh, uh, F. Uh, is it the nine? Oh, oh what's that? PMW nine hundred, and I know it used to be the three hundred and fifty yeah, that big I used Sony's. to use. But yeah, yeah, the yeah. big Sony's and things. They still, they still have their place, but I mean, they're being replaced by cameras and set up in configurations which have much larger battery lives. And I mean, you yeah. can get an FS5 with a, a, a dual V-lock thing with the same kind of weight and you'll be shooting for, geez, 12 hours. You know? Yeah, but look, even the, the smaller Sony's, like I couldn't believe how small your FS5 was when you got that and the RX10 and stuff like that. Um, you know, you get a couple of half-decent batteries for them and you, you swap them once or twice and you get most of the day anyway and yeah. you end up with something that is far better on your back. Yeah, well, and that's true. If, you, if you're doing ultra-nimble run and gun, uh, you can definitely mm. get away with something that just sort of fits in the, I wouldn't say the palm of your hand, but fits is quite an easy, you know, throw-around camera and you can snap on and off a tripod very easily and, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to throw in a bag and take on a plane and you can... Yeah. What I've found is it's just a lot easier to have two cameras and the expectation now that you have two cameras is starting to sort of yeah. come up a lot more you, can't you, know, afford you have a giant big camera cameras. i mean the amount of people now that will have a, a secondary camera and i guess it's because you could afford to do it, it used yeah. to be that a camera was you know your you'd spend all your money on one body whether now it really is a thing to i mean most professionals like the amount of people i see photography wise if we're yeah. talking who now um have two cameras over the shoulder yep consistent you know and mm. i think it's because the brackets and the brace systems you wear to uh like actually connect as your, well yeah connected yeah. cameras so have come down in price and it's all just a bit more affordable well look i think it's just the middle has died off a bit the, the people slinging those big cameras are maybe the some of the news guys who are prepared to do it but a lot of the news guys are going to smaller cameras a lot of doco guys are going to smaller cameras the big cameras are sticking around in more traditional um film stuff or cinema stuff but most people apart from those guys and maybe the the ng guys i think have moved on to the, the smaller form factor yeah i'd have to agree and even down from where uh we were a few years ago we think about 
Oh, we go back like even six years ago or five years ago. I mean, it was about the HDV cameras and having something that was, you know, uh, an all-in-one camera with the ability yeah. to swap over lenses now and, and get a camera for that same kind of price range with those features. It's just meant you can get a proper camera now with, with interchangeable features and more flexibility. Hmm. All right, Chris, moving on. The next thing on our list is computing power, which is little bit different but does tie in a lot with what we do and that is once we've shot all this stuff we've got to hopefully do something with it edit it improve it um mix it whatever it may be um one thing i've noticed and this has been happening probably for the last couple of years chris and that is the high end of computing hasn't really been progressing that much in terms of cpu power for, um for the last couple of years so Yes, you can still buy monster computers, but this sort of high end of, of low end stuff, the sort of $3,000, $4,000, $5,000 computer, which is where many of us are, hasn't gotten much faster. It has in terms of GPU performance, but in terms of CPU performance, the computer you can buy now isn't that much quicker than the computer you could buy a year, two, or maybe three years ago. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in that exact frame of mind right now we um you know uh three years ago uh, i remember picking up xeon a couple three xeon machines and um we it was a pretty penny i mean the price has come down a little bit but the top of the range cpus are only half as much faster again yeah and that's mind-boggling i mean when you think about it yeah 10, Moore's 15 law. years ago it was doubling every year was it or every two years a- 18 months i think it was 18 Moore's months law. it was yeah. doubling that's right yeah. And yeah, you would see that. I mean, going from the you know the four eight six twenty five to the DX two sixty six was within a year, and it was like at one point it was going faster than that, and it was doing all this doubling and then all this heat sinking and everything. I think we've hit a point where uh, we we pushed heat sinks a long way, and we can't really you know we've got water cooling and things which are almost becoming like a standard feature in some machines, it's, which is ridiculous, you know, just to get an extra ten percent speed increase, and yeah. it's. Well, look, the I think CPUs themselves aren't necessarily going in leaps and bounds at the moment. I think it's just potentially even more so the fact that Intel is now competing with ARM chips and their primary focus to get the sell through is to reduce power. And if you're reducing power significantly and shrinking your manufacturing processes each time, you don't have the the luxury to do the high-end stuff anymore. Yeah. Um, and that's really bitten, I think, the creatives in the arse a little bit because the latest chips are exactly the same speed, really, for the most part, and, you know, they cost about the same. Yes, they use less power, but we, with the desktop, you don't care. So, look, it's an interesting change, yeah. and it'd be good to see maybe uh, AMD get... a back in the game a bit more. I know they've got yep. a new CPU architecture that's just about to be released with lots and lots of cores and reasonable prices. So if those guys can get back in the game and start driving the mid-range to the high end again, that would be fantastic because a lot of the stuff we do is paralyzed. So yep. um, having additional cores would be beneficial and that Absolutely. is what AMD is doing. So hopefully Intel will get a bit of kick up the bum in the uh, the high end. I agree. And if you look at you know, in a, you know your average PC or even your, your Mac desktop, if you look at the amount of surface space that your process is taking up it's i mean you could uh quadruple or go to you know eight times the processor size mm. and still have room in your case for more you know it's yeah it's so definitely not space holding us back yeah it's not the space holding us back it might be I mean, he's got to obviously deal with some hot air and things like that but that's you in know, a desktop obs- yeah yeah but that's part of why you have a desktop i think the there's going to be a real nice at some point a, a reinsurgence of of a desktop power which 
puts it back in the game again because at the moment you know you, you people are saying oh don't bother with the mac pro for instance if you're on the mac platform just get yourself <laughs> God, a, no. you know a, a desktop one of the the imacs and that's you never would have heard that spoken well look there's also <laughs> the other thing uh, that ties in with all of this is that ram limitations in uh, laptops a lot of people are using laptops as their primary machines now and um, you know, Apple's new MacBook Pros, which I have bought one uh, as a secondary machine, has a limit of 16 gig, and that's not enough for a creative. Like, I've seen all these tests of people going, Oh, you don't need more than 16 gig, I can run two virtual machines and open some Photoshop files. And my response to that is, Well, open one After Effects file that is a, a decent After Effects file and watch your RAM disappear. Um, 32 gig is a baseline, I think, for, for most professionals doing video work. Maybe you can get away with 16, but you know that's your absolute bare minimum and you're hoping to keep these machines for five years probably so what's the bare minimum now is not going to be the bare minimum in half a decade so you want that upgradability and that's the other thing that's disappeared from laptops is upgradability you just you can't do anything with them anymore so if you buy it with not enough ram you're stuck with it i'm stuck waiting for stuff to render still um, you know, every time you output an MPEG-4, yeah, especially when you've shot 4K and you're two cameras Am I going to 4K, H.265, if, if not already? Well, that's it. I mean, well, even H.264, which is, you know, four times yeah. less the processing power. I mean, that's really arguable because your graphics card helps it along. There's always better algorithms every day. But, uh, yeah, waiting for 20 minutes, 25 minutes for a 15-minute video now. Yeah. And it's gone up because when we shot in HD, it was it was about double real time. But now yeah. all this additional processing and resampling and scaling, God, I could really do with a, a four or five times faster CPU right now. You know, yep. it would mean that I get more sleep. So it would. Um, all right, Chris. Moving on to stabilization. So. Uh, 2016, I'm going to lump gimbals in with stabilization, I think, Chris, because it's the same sort of thing. Yeah. We've got two main points I want to touch on here. One is uh, in-body stabilization, Absolutely. which has been around for some time, but is now becoming more serious. Um, a lot of it was electronic stabilization, which was kind of a hack. Now it's actually physically moving the sensor about in conjunction sometimes with the, the lens stabilization system to give you a really steady shot. And we've also got gimbal systems. So, Chris, thoughts on this? I think seeing the gimbal systems come down in price has been a real eye-opener for the the price of the technology, especially with mobile phones all having um, gyro sensors in them and, and, and having those... And possibly stabilised lenses in addition. Yeah. yeah, and we've had the technology for long enough now that people have built libraries and learnt how to really respond to movement and, and counteracting it. Mm. And uh, it's quite incredible when you think the precision of these little motors... You know, and, and what you're able to put into a gimbal system, and then have you know a, a three-axis or five-axis system, mm. uh, all moving around and and for under six hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars kind of thing. It's just yeah. it's mind-blowing. I mean, you and you're really seeing gimbal systems being introduced into places that are bizarre, like for the mobile phone. Yep. Uh, like the, with the, the, the mobile, phone mobile stuff, yeah. Or even for a little camera, like you know the um, something like the. Uh, <coughs> the mirrorless little tiny mirrorless cameras yeah. and you just pop it in say something like the iCan which is you know what six five hundred dollars five hundred fifty dollars mm. yeah what do you think it's mind-blowing seeing the price I mean the technology I think has it's been around for a while but seeing it at this price yeah look I think it's great for uh, for most people the one thing I think that needs to improve is the um uh, how rugged they are because they still feel like I'm going to break something a lot of the time. Um, so I think that's one area they could uh, provide more confidence, make things a bit more robust. But for the most part, 
they're doing really good jobs with some of those uh, small gimbal systems and especially some of the big gimbal systems. I mean, the Osmo, I mean, that has been an absolute marketing success. Yeah. I, mean, I know so many people who have bought them. It's, yep. And the Osmo 2, you know, the follow-up, which is really mm. very similar, I guess, just with improved... Zooming um, and... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, quietness at the motors, yeah. Yeah, I mean, have you have you played around with... Not with version 2, but I have a version 1, which we'll play with later, Chris. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, the other thing is the in-camera stuff. The new Olympus um, camera, their flagship model, 5-axis five, five, uh, stabilisation plus lens stabilisation. I saw some shots the other day, Chris, that were of a, a city building, and he was apparently leaning against something, but it was handheld, and it was a four-second exposure, and it was sharp. Wow. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, holy crap. So, look, he admits that he was leaning against something, but he, he said he was uh, firing off one second or half second shots, fully uh, handheld, so not leaning on something, and getting sharp results. So, that's just incredible for, for low light photography. Obviously, not going to help you with people, but if you're shooting landscape stuff, that's just incredible to be able to do that. Or well, if you do want to get a shot where there's blurred faces and heads moving around. Yep. Um, yeah, your traditional yeah. anonymous architectural shot. Yeah, <laughs> with blurry people and and, uh, and now, nice now also handheld. <laughs> yeah, handheld as well. Excellent. Being anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. look, I think this is a really good development because um, hey, sharper images are, are good things, and um, we're all happy about that. Yeah, and OSS primes as well. Uh, well, sorry, stabilized primes, I should say, are starting to become a thing. Um, yeah. And that's really handy because traditionally your prime wasn't necessarily stabilized and. Mm. You do actually that. It's it's often when you swap to a prime is because you are going low light and you do need yeah. that extra s- steps to be able to yep. you know, f stops to, to be able to deal with the situation. So yeah. to have that stabilized as well, um, and especially for video, you know, to just be able to shoot off a prime and and with your entry level primes be able to have a stabilized system hanging off it. It's beautiful. Mm. I mean, some there's so much stuff I'm able to shoot that I could never have shot on a Prime and got away with it without post-processing, yeah. which I can shoot now. So, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about all of this coming into, especially the uh, the entry level of uh, of camera gear. Yeah. How are the levels, John? Are the you levels, I'm sorry, I'm just checking looking? those levels. The levels yeah. are looking good. Of course, we, we're just literally sitting here with these uh, road reporter mics. just <laughs> In one hand and in, a beer in the other. A beer in one hand and a mic in the other, like in the garden, the sun's setting. The so I'm hoping tomorrow when we trees. listen to this back, it actually sounds okay. Uh, next on the list, Chris, is Sigma. Sigma, your your favourite lens is a Sigma, it I know. It is, yay. Um, Sigma, and this really isn't just this year, but Sigma started coming out with these art lenses. And the first one was a 35mm f1.4. And look, Sigma had a bit of a bad rap, to be honest, up until that point, because... I've look, always had good experiences with Sigma lenses. But th- this, that was the point, Chris. Some people had good experiences and some people didn't. You could buy the exact same lens and sometimes you get a good copy of the lens and sometimes you get a bad copy of the lens. Interesting. And the art lens, the, the 35mm f1.4, was the first where people said, I think Sigma's got it. Not only did they release a lens that was arguably better than many of the competitions, but it was a, a consistently made lens and you could go and buy one and be confident that you're going to get a good copy. And I think the quality control uh, that they managed to get down has been the secret. And in a way, that is been the secret to a lot of these manufacturers getting a product out there that people are very excited about. Mm. Um, it's getting something consistent where everyone has a good user experience. Because if someone has a bad experience, they put the word out. Yeah. And even though there might only be a few, like uh, DJI, I find them, uh, sorry, um, GoPro. GoPro, what's the name of the thing? The Karma. 
even though there might only it's be a, bad a few, karma. Uh, like uh, GoPro <laughs> karmas falling out of the sky. Yeah. It's like, you know, if, if there's more than 1% of your GoPro karmas falling out of the sky, you've got a big problem because yeah. those people will be vocal uh, hugely. And it was the same with lenses. If someone got a lens and they were disappointed with it, mm. um, you know, they'd sort of voice their opinion. And, and yeah, as they should. I, I know that Sigma have really, really tried with this new art series to to push it as hard as they can. And well, they had the, so the 35 was a hit, the 50 was a hit, and then they did the, the 24 and the 20, I think, and now they've just recently got the, the 85, which I haven't had any experience with yet, but I that might purchase soon because the, the current 85 has horrible purple fringing. Um, but, look, if the 85 is anything like the other art lenses they've released, then, look, people are going to buy it because it's good stuff. So well, well getting an 85 really is an around. expensive task as well. There's a Canon that's, jeez, yeah. how much is that? Like two? The, well, Canon has got an f1.2, which is a beautiful lens, but it ain't cheap. Um, and they've also got the 1.8. I don't think they've got a 1.4. I might be wrong on that. Um, tweet at us at the TPF show um, if I'm wrong on that. But, yeah, the, look, they've got some excellent lenses. But I think this is more about the fact that they can do a, a nice, sharp 1.4 lens at a reasonable price. And it's cheaper than I expected it to be. It's about the 1200 uh, 1300 Australian mark, I think. So, look, so it's a pretty good, pretty good lens. It's probably about 1000 bucks recommend retail American, I would guess. Wow. That's um, really impressive. Yeah. And, you know, that's your, your, your killer lens. You know, that's, that's the, the portrait classic. And at that point, you know, people are going to start having Sigma lenses as their base camp go-to lens. And that's mm. where people start noticing, you know. Although there was that, this that Nikon that was released a few months back seemed pretty good as well. Exactly. The one, what was it? 105 F14. If you've got a Nikon body, yeah, if you've got a Nikon body, it doesn't help if you've got a Canon like me. Chris, this uh, beer is growing on me a bit. Thank you. I know it was. I I I was a big pusher of this at um, my friend's bar. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't understand though how the yeast doesn't die in the seawater. It's. I, I think it's a totally different brewing uh, concept. So right. basically, yeah, it's it's basically uh, brewed in Australia, which is the first salt beer that I found. That's an Australian one. I'm sure there are probably other ones that are out there, but traditionally um, there was the. Who was it? Four. Oh, it was a set of numbers brewing company uh, from the states. Did a, uh, a couple of different ones, and they ended up with it was like a four sixty brew or something, which was an American brew. Um, but this is a, a an Australian take on the uh, the salt uh, beer and salt and pepper, freshy salt and pepper. What a name! Yeah, I don't taste much pepper, but I taste the salt. <laughs> All right, sorry, Chris, we've got one more item on our list before we uh, wrap up and do a bit of a review of this uh, microphone system we're using, and that is stock. Uh, stock photography, stock music, stock sound effects, stock After Effects templates, stock in general. Um, so our, our point about this in 2016 is I think stock has been commoditized quite a bit for, for good or bad, I suppose. Um, but the point is you can get into using stock quite cheaply now, and the quality of the stock is generally pretty good as well. What are your thoughts, Chris? Yep. Excellent. Thank you for that uh, insightful <laughs> It's input. handy. It's really handy when you need a shot of something that yep. uh, you can't go and easily get. Or with After Effects, if you need a starting point, yep. I guess, for uh, a, a certain look or style, you can sit with a, you know, someone you're making something for and say, was it like this or like this or like this? And then but the, I think the biggest thing with stock is that people have not understand that it takes sometimes as long to find a stock image as it mm. might 
to actually shoot it if you were able to shoot it. Yeah. Um, and now, if you were able is possibly the important bit. Yeah, and if it's obviously in another country or something like that, then, then you know, obviously you can't. Or if it's music and if you're like me and useless at creating that sort of stuff, uh, then it's possibly your only option. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. But uh, you will still get something a lot of the time that's curated to match. Um, hmm. But the, I, I guess the thing is that People are a lot more savvy now with cutting music tracks up and lining them up. And well, something we didn't touch on today, Chris, was the uh, 2017 release of the Adobe Creative Suite, and one of the major additions in Audition is uh, a remix feature, which actually seems to work, and that's cutting up to retime and automatically beat splicing stuff together to to retime an audio track, which it surprisingly works really well. <laughs> Yeah, so you can just say, but can you uh, tell it so at this point swell the energy up and at this point do this and at this point... No, it doesn't, it's not that far yet and maybe yeah. it will be in the future, but you can do things like fa favour shorter loops and um, you know, you cha change the actual uh, output it gives you, the handles that it generates, so it's all user accessible. It's not sort of in a, a dark cupboard somewhere and you don't really know how it works, so it does actually splice it up, auto-crossfade it and put it together. Interesting. Um, so, look, there's lots of that sort of stuff coming down the pipeline, but uh, with stock now, it's gone from a point where you could get an audio track and it would be pretty cheesy, and now you can get some pretty good stuff out there. And as you say, Chris, you do need to look a fair bit for, for a lot of it. Um, but for those who are not talented like me, it can be really handy to buy a track for 30 bucks US. In fact, I bought an After Effects template the other day for a slideshow that I wanted to quickly put together. Um, which was beautiful. It was this um, slideshow where you'd insert the photos and it was like they were hanging from a tree. So it was a video thing that was Did you make photos. a Christmas special? Uh, it was for a wedding client, actually. Oh, okay. And look, I thought it was a really beautiful template. It cost me 50 bucks. Um, I think the client was happy. We were all happy because um, it took me, you know, two hours to put it together instead of if I had shot that from scratch, it would have taken, taken three days. So... Yeah, look, it benefits everyone, I think. Um, the, the only one that it maybe doesn't benefit a little bit is the creators of stock, which sometimes I get a bit concerned about because if you put out an okay product, you might only make a, you know, a couple of hundred dollars out of it. It might have cost you thousands of dollars worth of your time. So there is that balance there that sometimes I get a bit nervous about. Yeah, and I think that I know that there is some unrest because I've seen some stock music that's come and gone off some of the services. Um, yeah. Certainly, I know there was a, a job I did uh, where I used uh, three or four stock tracks within it, and then we went to redo it for another country and relicense the stock, and two of the tracks weren't available anymore. And that's right. becoming, I mean, the licensing is, is you know, always a bit tricky too. Like, yes, you can get your your $10 license or your $5 license for usage, but what mm. is the usage? Yeah. And then you look at the fine print and it's like, oh, okay, so if it has more than X amount of views or if it's going for this or that, then Which is all a bit price. tricky, I think, Chris. It's like, well, it's well, how, many, how many views do you Yeah, you and if you have something that goes viral, if it's not bringing in money, if it's just sitting as a video that you've put out there yeah. and it's gone viral, well, then do you have to And then the news stations fee? say, this is a viral video, can we broadcast this? And suddenly the license changes. Yeah, Which exactly. is something I'm just thinking of now. It's like viral video is like, Man punching kangaroo, which is going with quite music in the background <laughs> that someone who created it suddenly yeah. hears and goes, "Ah, you haven't paid us the proper fee for this," and mm. then turns around and starts, you know, 
uh, poking lawyers at you. So yeah. I think, I mean, there is something still for peace of mind to have everything shot yourself and everything created yourself from yeah. scratch. And I think that is why, and, and honestly, that's, you know, if you look at the cost of stock, when you start to go to broadcast, yeah, it starts, um, to, it starts to be about three or $400 per piece as opposed to, which is still probably still pretty cheap. slightly cheaper. Mm-hmm. But if you're using it for a series of things and going to go back, your musicians are still going to be in, in business. But certainly for, and if we go in the high end of low end and you mm. want to put a music track to something that you've created, mm. being able to have access to those stock libraries, not just for music, but for video and Yep. you know putting a shot of uh, you know something from a different country or something very specific where a client's there and goes oh we really need a shot of this and you can often find something that'll fit the hole alright the good yep. thing I, I like as well about stock now is that you can actually just poke it at your client and say or whoever you're working with or if you're working on a film or the musicians or whatever and say well you find it and you email me the options yeah. and then you just get a whole load of links and then go alright well we'll use this one yeah, yeah. and that's that's handy i think the the ability for the stock libraries to be able to be watched by without having accounts and things like that's really yeah, pushing really forward. handy yeah cool all right chris well let's finish up with what we're both holding in our hands and that is the uh the new shooter kit connected to the road reporter now yep. what are your first thoughts on the new shooter kit which is basically a, a base plug or a butt plug if we want to be a little indecent uh going to one of the receivers uh it's pretty big, Chris. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, this is a product I've been waiting for In fact, for it was while. delayed for nine months or so, I think. Yeah, it's taken a while. So it's basically, for those of you who use the Sennheiser uh, kits, it's basically you can, you can plug this big block into the bottom of any microphone or any XLR, actually, yep. and turn it into a transmitter. Yep. Now, this, interestingly, also has a TRS on the top of it, so you can plug in... Is it got a thread on it? Yep. I assume you can thre- uh, plug in a, a lapel mic into it, yep. or you can plug in a, um, anything that's got a jack on it. You could probably pretty much plug in a guitar or something like that if you wanted as well. Um, and it transmits it uh, over 2.4 gig wireless to their standard road receiver pack. Yep. Um, it's big. It's I've chunky. got the Sennheiser ones, and this is double and the I've size. I've got the Sony, and this is double the size. Yeah. Look, but there are some positive things for it, Chris. Uh, as you say, it does have the TRS. Um, it's got uh, a headphone jack built in, which is interesting. I don't know how often I'd use that, but well, it's handy if you're say on a boom and you're yeah. uh, well, not really because well, you'd have a mixer strapped to you. But yeah. yeah, but if you wanted to be able to check, it's got a signal out of it. I guess mm. that's kind of handy because sometimes you know when you plug these things in, you want to check very quickly that you've got a, a signal coming out of them. And maybe if you are, for instance, at a venue and you're transmitting the live feed to your camera, yeah, just because you wanted to, you know get that happening um you could plug bit in of a, a motorbike in the background there what's that <laughs> bit of a motorbike in the background yeah. there um yeah look it, it it is chunky it it does take double a's but interestingly enough unlike the sony or the sennheiser it will also take a sony np uh, style battery so you can rig up a, a 970 to this which looks absolutely ridiculous because i did it yesterday and it, it does look very silly but you could run for a long time on one of those batteries. You probably get 48 hours, I would guess, worth of runtime because yeah. you get a fair bit out of a set of AAs anyway. So, yeah. if Look, you think it, about it, yeah. I should test that one time, just set it up in a corner and Leave see how long it goes for. Um, so, look, overall, it, it's a good unit. It's just a bit chunky. Um, I'll be interested to see if it does suffer from the same issue that Chris and I have both experienced with the, the filmmaker kits, and that is too much Wi-Fi, or at least that's what we think it is, where micro there seems drops. to be some micro drops or interference in my instance, where, you know, it's not 
a showstopper, but it is bloody annoying. Yeah. And um, it I, seems to happen where there's lots of Wi-Fi. Yes. I mean, I've, I've had it fine uh, in most places and then... Uh, took took it to a university uh, to do some interviews and and suddenly it, it was issues. working for the most part but there yeah. was a couple of times where it just dropped out yeah we certainly we, we moved the camera about you know another couple of meters back so it's probably about four meters to, to you know get some longer shots for part of it and then I just noticed it was dropping out a whole load then so yeah. there's really it's a close range mic if you're using it around Wi-Fi, which is a very strange thing to remember. Yeah, because these do operate on 2.4 gigahertz and only give you eight channels and it's meant to work it out. But look, universities and, and big business, there are Wi-Fi access points all over the place and there's you know, phones and computers and all kinds of Wi-Fi stuff. So look, there's going to be some interference at some point, I would think, because it's a limited spectrum and there's a lot of stuff on it. Yep, and these they brute force their way really well through it at a close range. Yeah. Cool, Chris. Uh, let's go for a little bit. I know you're in bare feet, but we go for maybe go for a little bit of a wonder. Let's oh, see what the range is. Check out the range. Okay, so, well, look, let's, I, let's see. I've got uh, a well, brick veneer house here. And, well, it's um, going to work to the backyard. Well, uh, we'll, we'll go, go around the other way. side. So today we're, we're doing, a, an, as we said, an outside broadcast in the sun. Yeah, more because it was nice and there was beer and hay. Yeah, and, and we've been location scouting today and yep. yeah, saw some nice locations. Jeez, John, you need to make your lawn, buddy. I oh, know, it's due to <laughs> It's, it's due nice to, to walk on, though, in yeah, bare feet. But yeah. All right, let's go around the outside of the house. Oh, so we'll go around the outside of the house. I've never actually been around your no, outside of your house not before. Not that exciting. There's a nice fern here and they? some flowers at the back. Yeah, they're like a cactus. Uh, That's they, a they are... Um, I've forgotten the name of those, but uh, they are things that cost a lot of money if you buy them, but they also self-multiply. So you just plant them and eventually they get big and they sprout like um, like gremlins. Yeah, they look a bit like a lettuce, but a bit like a cactus. Yeah. So, um, we've so we're now on the outside of the house and it may have dropped out completely, but if you can still hear us, we're going through two lots of brick veneer and about three rooms. So let's say five walls total. So yeah, this would probably still be as, working. as ridiculous as you'd ever go. Yeah. Um, anyway, we're just wandering yeah. back around now. Uh, so we're going through a, a bit of wind. Ooh, there's a bit of a gust. So there's I'll be interested to hear how that sounds. So, Chris, uh, let's uh, wrap up, I think. Unless oh, Chris is sampling with his mic for a bit of wind. Uh, we'll wrap up. Thank you very much for those of you who listened to us this year. Uh, we'll be back into it again in 2017. Hopefully you'll be joining us then. Uh, and we'll uh, chat about all the new developments in the world of the high-end of low-end digital media production. Signing off, Chris. Thank you for the year. Indeed. Thank you, John. Have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, everyone. We'd normally chink drinks at this point, but we're they're cans. cans. Let's, so. let's do a can chink. It's not glass, but... <laughs> that was disappointing. <laughs> Better with glass.